are y'all ready, man? Like, are y'all ready for this? You know, our, uh, our guest tonight, we were introduced, y'all remember Gabe Bowling from earlier this year, one of our celebrity guests, he made the introduction and, and right off the bat, you know, even if you see somebody like on their IG content or whatever, it's very, and, and very quickly you realize I vibe this person. Like, I know I can rock with this person. Like our celebrity guest is that person tonight. And, and Marcel and everybody else, I'm extremely thankful that we have him on. And, and I feel honored to have the introduction, man. I low-key kind of grabbed it from Marcel. Like, Marcel, I'm introducing our celebrity guest. <laughs> like, there's no other option. I want that privilege. So, so without further ado, let me tell you guys a little bit about our celebrity guest. He's called the Value Add Dad. And, and you know, the Value Add Dad, he comes from immigrant parents. You know, he's from Des Moines, Iowa, and, and his parents instilled, instilled the priority of family in him at an early age. And it, and it permeates everything that he does, both personally and professionally. There's a reason he's called the Value Add Dad. But, you know, for our celebrity guests, uh, family has always been the driving factor for him. <clears throat> you can see it on the slide there. I mean, about 10 years ago, he started out with about 150K in real estate, and now it's over 300 million. Man, let's go. The brother's been crushing it. Our celebrity guest tonight, he also hosts the multifamily mentor show at Bigger Pockets, where his passion for real estate is just absolutely overflowing. And don't forget, he loves his family, he loves real estate, and he loves giving back to the community. He's active in his church. He's active in the community of giving back and helping people with special needs and having uh, and giving them opportunities to have fun, stay active, meet new friends, et cetera. Just an absolute go-giver. So without further ado, everyone, let's welcome our celebrity guest tonight, the value add dad, Terrence Doyle. <laughs> What's up, brother? <laughs> What's going on, guys? How are you? Good to see everybody. We're doing amazing, bro. We're doing yeah. absolutely amazing, man. It, it, it's hard not to be doing amazing. We have somebody like you with us tonight getting activated with the Freedom Chasers, man. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. I mean, I, I love the intro. I love what you guys are doing. And I just think it's so amazing, as the gentleman was saying before, like all the content, all the knowledge, the relationship just the platform, right? Just the platform for free uh, to be able to connect with people around the country that want to pursue freedom. You know, I think freedom is such an interesting topic. You know, as you guys are talking the last 20 minutes, I'm just thinking to myself, you know, what is freedom, right? What is freedom? You know, like people love our country. I've had the opportunity to spend a lot of time in other countries that don't have the freedom that United States has as freedom, right? There's different levels of freedom. Right? There's different levels of freedom. And uh, so what is true freedom? You just got me thinking, and, uh, you know, I just think it's such a great brand name and a great topic that, you know, we could talk about that for hours. But anyways, I think it's amazing what you guys are doing. I'm super stoked. Uh, Gabe Bowling is my boy. He introduced us. And uh, yeah, I'm just super excited to be here, be with you guys. I love what you're doing. And uh, yeah, I want to help in any way I can. So I'm, I'm super excited. Let's go. Thank you, Terrence. And, and, you know, with our mission statement, you know, it doesn't end with freedom. It doesn't end with freedom and freedom can look like a lot of things. And like what you mentioned, there's different degrees of freedom, but there's a reason we end our mission. The freedom is for the purpose of you having more time to spend on what brings you meaning, purpose and joy. And obviously that can be different for a lot of different people. 
But that's where, that's from our perspective where the freedom comes in. Now you have the power with your time and energy to channel that into what really brings you meaning, purpose, and joy. Yeah, love it, love it. You know, just a sidebar, you know, before we get into things, you know, I think what's interesting, you know, I, uh, I spent a lot of time growing up reading uh, this book called The Bible, right? And the Bible talks a lot about freedom. And, uh, you, know, you know, the United States government was built on principles of the Bible, right? Which is, you know, what I believe why we have the best country in the world, right? We have real freedom. We have more freedom than virtually any country in the world. But freedom and discipline, you know, here's something interesting. Freedom and discipline go hand in hand. The more what I've observed in my life and people around me that I look up to is the more discipline someone has, right, financially, physically, emotionally, discipline across the board, the more freedom they'll actually experience, right? And freedom really is optionality, right? The more options, the more choices you'll have, but it goes hand in hand with discipline, you know? And so I think so many people, you know, there's this phrase like, you know, financial freedom and all these things about, uh, you know, you know, uh, fire and all these different concepts around finance, but it's tied to discipline, right? Freedom is yeah. tied to discipline. The more disciplined you are, the actual more options you have, the more choices you will have, right? And I think that that's so important uh, for people that are, you know, regardless of where you're at in your real estate journey, that's something that I'm preaching to myself right now. I'm like, man, how much, where can I be more disciplined? Because the more disciplined I am, the more freedom I'll experience. And freedom will be choices with my family. It'll be vacations, it'll be time, it'll be experiences, right? So the more disciplined I am, the more experiences, better memories, richer times with my family, uh, my friends, uh, my colleagues, partners, you know, the, my loved ones, things like that. So discipline goes hand in hand with freedom. And I think that's very important that we don't lose sight of that. Agreed. Anyways, Agreed. That wasn't the topic, but it got me thinking. <laughs> got me thinking. Absolutely. Dude, you can sprinkle whatever you want in here, Terrence, you know, <laughs> sprinkle those gold nuggets. But man, we're, we're super excited. We want to get to know you a little bit more, the Freedom Chaser community, get to know you a little bit more on the personal side and the professional side. But we always like to start off with our celebrity guest to ask this question. Who is Terrence Doyle, the value add dad? Who is Terrence Doyle, the value add dad? You know, uh, Terrence Doyle, I'm a husband. I'm a husband to my wife, Julie. Uh, we've been married. This is going to be our seventh year of marriage. We ce celebrate seven years, July 25th, July 25th. Amazing. I'm really excited Amazing. about that. Yeah. Yeah. She's incredible. I couldn't, I wouldn't be where I'm at. I wouldn't be who I am without her. So, you know, I'm a husband. I'm a father. I have two young kids. Uh, they'll probably uh, be coming home here anytime from their grandparents, but uh, Noah's three. My boy Noah's three and Amelia's five. And uh, anyone that has young kids, then you can imagine it's a, it's a full contact sport. It's very, very <laughs> fulfilling, but it's also very exhausting. And, uh, you know, it's a great lesson of being selfless and patience, having toddlers. And uh, so I'm a father. And then I would say, you know, like I touched on earlier, you know, I think I was raised uh, from a, you know, Judeo-Christian worldview. And so I would say that, you know, I, the, the term Christian, I think it's thrown around a lot and is watered down, but I'm definitely like a follower of Jesus. You know, the principles of Jesus in the Bible, uh, the attitudes of, uh, you know, patience, generosity, uh, grace, uh, humility, you know, these are the principles that I try and live my life by. Obviously I'm not perfect. I make a lot of mistakes, but that's kind of the bar 
uh, that I've set, you know, is the bar that Jesus set out, you know, in the, uh, in the new Testament. And so, you know, I would say that that's the most important thing. That's the, that's the perspective by which I view the world, right. Is, is a biblical perspective of absolute truth and of the beatitudes and, uh, you know, just humility. When you guys talk about celebrity, you know, I think that, you know, the only person that really, you know, should be celebrated is Jesus, you know, but, um, you know, obviously I, I follow, you know, I'm trying to follow him and be the best version uh, that I can and be a disciple following in the footsteps of Jesus. So that's something that I hold near and dear and that I, uh, you know, I try and live out every, every day. So that's who Terrence Doyle is. And uh, yeah, I think value add dad comes from kind of that idea that like no one brought more value than Jesus. He's the human being that brought the most valuable and so, value. And so I'm trying to emulate that by adding as much value as I can while I'm here on this earth. So that's it. That's what I'm here. That's what, that's what, that's what I'm about. Does everybody, notice, does everybody notice that Terrence hasn't talked about real estate yet? I, I find that so amazing because it showcases also, you know, your, your life priorities, right? With your family, faith and everything, right? And I, and I, think, I think that's, that's amazing. And I can tell the energy in your voice, right? How, how passionate you're about that. And I'm sure, I'm sure that's exactly the energy that translates into everything else that's going on in your life, right? Because it's about... It's about in, being in the right place first, being in the right place yourself first to be able to tackle everything else in life. So I love that, man. How about, how about this, Terrence? How about we start with where did your journey start, you know, on, on the real estate side now, obviously, obviously how, yeah. where did that, and then, but how did that go hand in hand with everything else you got going on in life, right? Being Absolutely. a dad, being a faithful man, right? Being, being a husband. So where did that start and, and where did the journey take you? Yeah. That's a great, that's a great question. And, uh, you know, I, I, like you guys mentioned, I grew up in Des Moines, Iowa. Uh, my mom was an exchange student from a third world country in South America called Columbia. Most people spell it C-O-L-U. It's actually C-O-L-O-M-B-I, Columbia. Uh, Colombia, for anyone <laughs> here from South America or Central America. But um, so I, I spent a lot of my childhood in Bogota. I actually went to school there. There was a, a uh, like a boarding school that was uh, bilingual. I went to school there. Uh, so I'd go half the year there and then I was homeschooled. And, uh, you know, that gave me a great sense of pride. Whenever you, if you, anyone that's spent a lot of time in a developing country like Colombia or anywhere really central South America, Africa, uh, you know, different parts of the Middle East, I would say, you know, you have, you come down to that, you come back to the United States and you have this tremendous sense of like, wow, it's amazing here. Uh, this is incredible. We have so much opportunity at our fingertips that, you know, other people don't have. My cousins, my family doesn't have. So it's like, man, I love this place. Um, so I think that was, you know, a big part of my real estate journey. I also played basketball on a really good team in high school. So I had an opportunity to play college basketball, brought me to Denver. I played at Calder Christian University, Division II school. While I was in school, my teammates were like my family. And I started a company with two of my best friends. Uh, they're real close friends to this day. And it was a carpet cleaning franchise. And we franchised it in college, while we were in college. So this is 2005, we started it. And by 2008, we had sold like 180 plus franchises around wow. the country. And it was a really quickly growing franchise in the carpet cleaning space. And we had made some money for being 21, 22, 23. So then at the same time, 2008, everyone knows what happened in 2008. You know, real estate's tanking. At the time I was renting, with my two best friends for $300 a month, a brand new new build in Littleton, Colorado. Okay, so a suburb, $300 a month uh, to live. And um, 
one of my teammates came to me in late 2007 and said, hey, there's this thing called a public trustee sale and they're selling houses, pennies on the dollar every week, hundreds of houses. And if you have money, you can go buy them. And I was like, what? I was like, what, what are you talking about? So I was his first investor and we bought a house for $56,000 at the Adams County public trustee sale uh, for 56. We wow. sold it nine weeks later for 96,000. We put roughly $3,500 into that house. We painted it, new carpet, put a sign in the front yard, sold it. We sold it to an investor that was buying rentals. And we were like, I can't believe this guy's buying this for $96,000. We just bought it for 56. <laughs> we thought we were geniuses. Turns out the guy that bought it from us is the real genius because he ended up buying like a thousand of these things. Uh, and now that house is worth 700 plus thousand dollars. Right. So um, that was my first experience in real estate was flipping a property. I didn't understand taxes, didn't understand depreciation, didn't understand debt, didn't understand cash flow, didn't understand anything. I just understood that was a good trade. And we went on to do that trade, that same thing, you know, 600 plus times from 2008 to 2015, 14, 15. So we, you know, so my first experience in real estate was flipping properties. To answer your question, that was my first experience uh, in real estate. And, and so, what that was just you and and your investor partner, Terrence, or you, you and some of your your college basketball boys, or who was your team there? Yeah, so it was an alumni from Carter Christian who was an attorney. He ran like a brokerage where they did real estate, mortgages, insurance, all under one shop. He was really, really brilliant. He was an attorney. He he saw this thing coming before it really happened. Like. The laws changed in Denver in late 2007. Prior to 2008, if you got foreclosed on in the, you know, in, at a public trustee in Colorado, uh, you had the, the owner, the previous owner had 120 days to redeem the person that bought the, 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 the deed, right? So that law changed. He saw that coming. Plus he saw this wave of foreclosures coming. And he was, we were one of the first five to 10 groups in the Denver Metro. Right. So this is before Blackstone, before KKR, before all the big funds. It was just a local like local groups that were like cobbling together hundreds of thousands of dollars. So it was him or, you know, he was like the senior guy. It was my college teammate, myself. <laughs> and then we ended up having a, a one investor that backed us. Uh, he ended up backing us in late 2008 with a line of credit. And so we had, I had four partners. I had four partners. Amazing. Yeah. I still can't believe you did that carpet stuff while you were a collegiate athlete, man. I'm about <laughs> yeah. my collegiate athlete days. I'm just, how in the world did you swing that, man? Incredible. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, it wasn't the you, University you, of you, Texas football, so it was a little different. It wasn't the I University mean, of Texas you, football. Even as a, as a D2 athlete. The Terrence, <laughs> I mean, even, even on the D2 I, I played D2 soccer, you know, yeah. and as, a, as an international student. So, you know, not that you were, I mean, you were kind of international, right? Like, kind of. Right. Um, but but still, I mean, with school, so I mean, and then and then you have athletics. But then here's the big thing: the third one is your extracurricular activities. You know, the more time you have in college, there's also this danger. I feel like right that sucks you into the other side of college. You know, it's like partying, all that stuff. Right, have fun. So I always I always admire the people that say, man, when I was in college, you know, I like build a business and all that stuff because I can tell you. You know, for me, I was an athlete. I was good in school at that point, finally in my life. But I did spend my 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 free time, you know, enjoying certain things as well. Mm -hmm. And I wish I had that somebody or something, you know, that 
would have guided a little bit, you know. So I always have such admiration for people starting starting that early because it's not easy. And what you built, I mean, that's 180 franchises. <laughs> Respect, well, brother. Yeah. Well, yeah, it was my, it was, you know, my, the, the gentleman that started it, he was getting his master's and he still runs the company this day. And I think it's one of the biggest franchises now in the world, carpet cleaning. And it's still out of Denver. My buddy still runs it and he's built an incredible thing. You know, I was, I was like a minority partner. I was just, I was in charge of franchise development. So I really had no idea what I was doing, but I was really good on the phones and I was really good at getting people come to Denver to see the whole operation. And uh, so, you know, I just played my part, but uh, you know, yeah, I mean, Jonathan was a really big visionary and it was really kudos to him. I mean, he really was like the driving force there. I had no idea what I was doing. I was on the phone with people getting them to come to Denver. That was like my thing. If I get them to Denver, I believe once they see everything, it's going to sell itself. I just need to get them to Denver. But uh, yeah, it was an incredible, I mean, a great run. I learned a lot of great things, um, you know, and with every good thing, there's a bad thing, right? Because that was my first experience. I thought basically anything that I was going to do after that was going to work. So uh -huh. we did have a lot of success, but then that also ended up, you know, the yin and the yang was, you know, I tried to do other multiple other things after that, that did not work, <laughs> which is what brought me back to real estate in 2013. Uh, when I, when I met my now wife and I was like, okay, I got to get serious. I got to have a career. I got to be able to provide. Yeah. You know, I got to get, I got to have like a real, I got to have a real career here if I want to have a family. But uh, yeah, no, it was, uh, it was a great experience. I mean, being an entrepreneur, um, you know, was great. I, I, uh, I've, you know, because of that, I've never actually worked for anybody. I've never had a job. I feel like I've never really worked a day in my life. I've, it's always been for something I believe in or that I've started. So I think that's a gift and the curse, but um, yeah. So that was my first experience was a carpet cleaning franchise, investing in real estate. And it wasn't really an investment. It was like a trade. It'd be like buying one share of Apple. Like I didn't really feel like I understood investing or anything, but that was my first experience, my first exposure. And, uh, you know, that was the start of my journey. That's amazing. Ter Terrence, it's always great to see how people evolve on outwardly on the professional side. But one thing that we always like to try to extract from our guest is how in the world, when they were moving through those milestones professionally, let's say the milestone of the franchise and the success there, the, the milestone of, you know, at least your initial real estate phase where y'all were just absolutely killing it in the Denver metro area. How did you evolve internally to continue leveling up and, and executing on those levels of uh, higher degrees of success? You know, I think one of the things that I've been fortunate is that I, I'm very curious. So I'm always asking questions. I have a lot of energy. I'm very passionate just naturally. And I've always had great people around me. And I think that that's not really, you know, when you look back at a, at a data, uh, you know, a sample data of, you know, let's say now it's been since 2005 to 2023, what is that? 18 years or something like that. So it's consistently over 18 years, I've always been surrounded by great people, like really good mentors really strong senior leadership in my life that's like paved the way or, you know, can accelerate my trajectory. And I just think that's probably the foundation of if you want to do something or build something, you've got to ask really good questions. You got to be curious and you've got to seek out really strong mentorship, which is what this is about, right? I mean, you guys are doing the same thing. You guys you know, regardless of where you're at in the journey, you guys are further than some people. And so you're giving people access to that journey to where they can like 
accelerate their journey by joining your group or getting involved with you guys and, and being able to learn. So that was what I've done. I think just at scale, you know, as iterated that over and over is like, okay, I'm interested in franchising. Let me go get some mentors. Okay. I'm interested in real estate. Let me go. And, uh, and that's been my journey. That's been my experience is, you know, asking questions and, um, you know, being really diligent about follow-up disciplined with, uh, you know, work ethic and, you know, following through what I've, you know, it's just the fundamental things. Like when you ask people for help, if you follow up and do what you say you're going to do, it's amazing how much people actually want to help, right? And real estate's one of the coolest industries in that, you know, nothing's really a secret. Nothing's proprietary. Everybody wants to kind of help each other, right? I mean, how many people you had on here that are insanely successful that just want to like yeah. share so they can pass it on. And I think that's kind of what happened to me. Like so many amazing people have poured into me giving me like unlocks or light bulb moments where I'm like, wow, I didn't know that. And then you get like, you're able to climb this ladder and then you want to reach back and help other people. So I think that's really the key is like really great mentors, asking really great questions, following up, you know, nothing's, there's no like silver bullet. None of this is like things that people haven't heard before, but that is what has helped me. It's true. And we noticed that too, right, Trevor? I mean, it's it's always the next connection that gets you to the next bigger thing, I feel like, right? I mean, we, we have experienced that over the past 10 months just yep. as much and what we try to do legitimately is just flip that around and pour it into the community pour it into the people and and, and try to inspire them to do the same um and, and i think that goes a long way but terence very what interests me very much is is every you said in the beginning you know uh, you had a long ride you you made, you learned something right and then and then you went into uh, flipping and stuff like that and it, and it wasn't great ride again and then it's 2015 you said you met your wife is yeah. there something else that that changed, you know, what changed in 2015 that kicked you off, you know, that went from like flipping now into, the, I guess that's when the multifamily side starts, right? When you, the next level up uh, came up, like what changed and what sparked you for, for the new journey? Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. So what, you know, that's a, that's, that's a good transition. So, you know, 2013, now there's all this institutional money chasing flips, right? So, you know, we went from buying, uh, you, you could walk out, you know, you, we went from, competing against five groups a week at the auction to 25 groups in like four years. So it got very tight. Money got longer and cheaper, right? People kept finding cheaper money and our money did not get cheaper. Okay. When you have a partner and you make them a lot of money, unfortunately, and money didn't get cheaper, it actually got more expensive. So we had to find other creative ways and the deals got harder and riskier. So you went from spending 3000. I mean, just think about this, like, a flip in 2008 was literally paint and carpet. That was a flip. A flip <laughs> in 2023 is what? Pop top, new construction, adding a basement. I mean, you're talking about taking so much more risk now to do a flip, uh, you know, in today's market. I'd say the average construction spend on a flip today is well over 100,000. The average spend in 2008 to 2012 was like five, right? So you take insanely more risk for actually less, you know, less return and it took longer. So so this was going on, right? We were, the, the margins were coming down. Competition was going up. Capital was getting cheaper. And by 2013, we had paid millions of dollars in taxes and millions in partnership splits. And I was not left with that much money. So that stat at the beginning is actually really true. Why I had made a lot of money, I'd also lost a lot of money through taxes and distributions and things like that. And we had lost money. You know, when you do 600 flips, we probably lost money on 30 deals, right? Roughly two or 3%. So we had lost money. So all that to say, 2013, I meet my wife and I'm like, I want to build a family. I want freedom. I want freedom. I want time with my wife and my kids. 
I don't want to have the same experience my parents had when I was growing up, which was like this scarcity of money, right? It was like, there was never enough money. We could never take the vacation we wanted. We could never go out to eat the way. It was like always money was like the issue. It was like the bottleneck was money. I was like, I don't want that to be the bottleneck. I want to be able to take the vacation I want, go to the dinner I want, uh, spend as much time with my family. I don't want this thing like I can't take this time off of work. You know, that was what, that was what I heard growing up. Um, and so I wanted something completely different for my family. And so that's when I started to think, okay, how do I get off this hamster wheel? right? I'm only making money when I'm flipping and then I have to pay a lot in taxes. So there's got to be some other way to take the, you know, the ability to do deals. I knew how to underwrite deals. I knew the Denver metro area. I knew construction really well. We had crews. I had access to money. I had made some money. <coughs> Excuse me. And so I started to research. This is when I started to take my deep dive into bigger pockets. I started to like ask questions and like try and get different mentors. And I was like, okay, there's got to be other way. Like I started to realize and look around like, okay, who's really wealthy? Who's really, really wealthy? You know what I mean? Who's, who makes, you know, if let's say we made two or $3 million a year, who makes two or $3 million a month, right? Who are those people? What are they doing? And it started to become clear to me that they owned real estate and didn't sell. And they owned a lot of real estate and they, and most of them owned multifamily. Now, some people own land, some people industrial, some people retail. Most of the people I was around owned apartment buildings, right? And I was like, all right, well, an apartment is really just a smaller home. If I know how to flip a house, I can flip an apartment. So that was the light bulb for me was I got to, I got to do something that's going to pay me monthly to where I'm not on this hamster wheel. If I finish, let's say I flip a hundred homes. If I flip a hundred apartments, then those apartments are going to pay me for the rest of the year and the rest of next year. And they're going to pay me in perpetuity. So that was kind of the light bulb moment for me uh, in 2013 uh, 2015, I bought my first apartment, like apartment fourplexes, fourplexes and duplexes in Denver. And that was the first like real multifamily transaction. So from like the, from like the light bulb moment in 2013 to doing my first deal was 2000, early 2015. Uh, and I did Let's that. that I basically started that company when I branched off from my other partners, uh, with 150,000 in look of liquid cash in the bank. I, that, I was worth by more on paper. I had more assets, but like what I actually had liquid to play with was 150,000. Man, and, and that's, that's again, because a lot of people say this here and I want to point this out again, you know, and not a lot of people, a lot of celebrity guests have said that, you know, it took me X amount of time to actually get my first, you know, big-ish deal, you know, like on the multifamily side. Can you repeat again, from the light bulb moment when you started, you know, taking action, actively pursuing that route, how long it took you to take down that first bigger deal? Yeah, it was, it wasn't two years, but it was probably a year and a half, you know, from the time of like reading, you know, I was like reading books, listening to podcasts, blah, 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 hearing people yeah. talk about buying larger multifamily deals. And I, you know, and this was just when like syndication was starting to get popular. I didn't understand any of that. I was like, I'm just going to buy a deal by myself, but to buy my deal, you know, I'm going to buy a deal. So the first deal we did was a four unit. We bought a pack. It was actually like three duplexes and a four unit. So it was like four, what is that? Six and four, it was 10 units, six and four. Ten, it was 10 units from a family trust that we met uh, a gentleman. My, my, the, the gentleman that was my partner uh, from 2014 to 2020, uh, we went to school together. He was, he ran all like the bookkeeping, the accounting, all the back office, and he was a licensed agent. So he met someone at church that had, that had uh that was selling off their trust and he sold it to us because he trusted we would close so that was basically like call it 18 months 
from the time that I was like, we need to get into multifamily. So but that's huge. You know, that's yeah, huge. that was patience, that was what it right? took. Yeah, patience, and you said it earlier, right? Discipline. It's yeah. also discipline to stick something without having the instant, instant yeah. gratification, instant return, or so, right? And I think it's important that people hear that um, collectively because it takes a lot of time of consistent, disciplined action to get there, right? And it's it's it builds on one 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 level builds on one another. And that's that's a huge message. That's right. What happened then? What happened then? Yeah, so it's important to know that like, you know, I think life experience, you stack, you stack this like knowledge base, right? And so if you think about flipping, like we had to make decisions very quickly with cash, right? So then we built this muscle of being able to make decisions based on data and experience, and then just living with the results, right? So I think I said, like, we lost money on two to 3% of the flips, like we definitely lost money. So, you know, and I was comfortable with losing money. I was comfortable with like, okay, it doesn't work out. You just learn and you actually get better. So we were, the, the skill set of making decisions quickly helped a lot because as soon as we were given the opportunity to buy, buy something that we knew was a good deal, even though we had never done it before, we pulled the trigger. And then we figured it out. We did not know what we were doing. We did not understand, uh, you know, you know what, how, to, how to renovate an apartment the right way. We didn't understand leasing. We didn't have a license for property manager and we didn't have anything. We were just like, we know this is a good deal. We'll figure the rest out. And, and that's what we did, right? We renovated. We actually, the first one, we had a stop work order. We didn't, you know, we didn't know what pulling permits was. I mean, we made so many mistakes. That first deal, um, you know, we bought it for 400. The budget we were going to put, we originally thought we were going to put 12,000 a door in. So 48,000 on the fourplex. And we ended up spending 120,000, 120,000. So bought it for 400, put 120 in. And we ended up selling it for 700, I want to say like $780,000 a year later, right? $780,000 a year later. And so, you know, that was the first, you know, big win. Same thing with the duplexes, same kind of thing. Like everything we thought we did took longer, the construction went longer. And, um, but we leased them up, we leased them up for pro forma. And then what we learned was like, you know, debt was coming down, rents were going up. And there was like all this appetite for multifamily, we were done. And so the difference was, is that the win was bigger and we were able to take that money kind of like a 1031, you know, vehicle and invest that into a larger asset. So we were able to take that money and we went and bought like, I want to say like 40 units in Des Moines uh, for 19,000 a door. Wow. <laughs> so we went to Des Moines, <laughs> bought a bigger deal for less money. And the rents I think were four or 500 a month, like nothing, like so cheap. And I, it was just because we knew the city of Des Moines, same thing. We knew the market and we were like, we can buy this. And so we, we continued to do that. We were buying these smaller deals in Denver, renovate them. And we would either refire sell and then go buy larger in Des Moines. And so we continue to do that. So from 2015 to 2019, we built a portfolio of like 500 plus, five, maybe 600 units that we owned with no LPs. We had like lender, like people were lending us money and we had lines of credit. And, you know, we were like very creative with, with lines of credit and debt, but we had no investors. It was just, it was just us signing on the note. We would give, you know, people that invest, people that lent us money, we'd give them a set return. And, uh, and that worked really well. I mean, we, I mean, I think the big unlock for me, the big unlock that changed my career was, or that changed my life actually was, you know, I, I started then to want to do larger and larger deals. Right. So then I started to do deeper and deeper dives and these guys that were buying hundred plus unit buildings via syndication. I was like, I don't understand the legal. I don't want to invest other people's money. I don't want to have risk of other people's money. I just want to bet on myself, but I want to do bigger deals. 
And so I started again, like 2017, I was like, I got to do a hundred unit deal. I've got to buy a hundred unit community. That's, that's the next step. And um, so I started saying that in 2017, started to study that. And then the same thing in 2018, we put 135 units under contract in Des Moines for 29,000 a door. And it was from the same gentleman <laughs> oh, that owned it for like, <laughs> like 40 years. He'd owned it with his family for like 40 years. And the rents were like $500 on average, right? And he was a slumlord. And we knew this was a deal. So on this particular deal, the, uh, let's say we bought it for three, nine, something like that. And a bank lent us 3.3. And then we put in all the construction, right? So we put $600,000 down and we put another 400 into construction. So we were into this deal for a million bucks. Okay. And over the course of 18 months, over the course of 18 months, we raised rents from an average of 500 to an average of seven and a quarter. And then Obviously, everyone knows that debt came down. So in 2020, I get a call from a bank, a local bank in Des Moines. And so we owed 3.3 on this asset. We had bought it for 3.9, okay? And we're into it for a million bucks. And the bank says uh, something to the effect of, hey, we'd love to refinance this for you, right? We'd love to refinance this for you. And we'll give you a rate of 3.6 and we'll give you some interest only and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and the net effect was, and we'll actually lower your monthly payment and you can cash out. And I was like, what? I was like, that sounds way too good to be true. Because we had never done a big cash out refi to this point. We just sold in 1031 and rolled things over. So then long story short, um, in the middle of COVID, in the middle of COVID, we cat, we that that deal appraised for 7.6 million and they gave us a loan for 5.5. We paid off the 3.3. We pocketed 2.2 million tax-free. And our payment went down $5,000. So that deal <laughs> ended up netting us. And I think uh, something effective, like 30,000 a month, that one deal netted us after the refi, 30,000 net. And we walked away with 2.2 million. And the majority of that was like mine. You know, I was like the majority wow. of that deal. It was my brother, myself and my business partner. Um, and so that was, that was really life-changing. And then I went on to be able to invest that 2.2 into some larger assets. And, uh, and that was really the start of, I think, Verco of like this brand and this company that we've, we've built now uh, to this day, but really just trying to do that same play at scale, buying larger assets that are underutilized from legacy owners and being able to grow rents 20, 30%, and then, you know, uh, continue on that, that journey and doing that same play. But Terrence, but go for it, Trevor. Yeah, I, I, I got a couple of questions uh, yes. to roll it back, like one or two chapters in, in your story here, man. Yeah. I, I think it'd be helpful because we have people here on the call that have a vast array of real estate experience, yeah, yeah, yeah. but there's still there's still quite a handful here that are, are looking for that first multifamily deal. What are you sharing with people these days to help them get yeah. into their first deal? That, first that's, deal. that's my first yeah. question. And I got another one after that. Okay, yeah, first deal. Yeah, first deal is key. I mean- You've got to, so I, I did a podcast with one of the top brokers in Denver. This is the best way I know to answer this question. I did a podcast with one of the top brokers. Uh, he's a national broker, national firm, top five firm, and um, <clears throat> top 10 firm for sure. And it basically comes down to doing your first deal. You've got you've to have a clear target. You know, Grant Cardone talks about having a target. You've got to have a target, right? And to have a target, you got to have goals. So like what's, I think the first deal is what's your personal goal? Like, what are you trying to do? right? Do you want cash flow? Do you want to grow your money? Do you want to invest passively? Like what's your goal? Okay. So then once you have a goal, you have to have a clear target. Like, okay, based on my goal, I have this much, I can buy a fourplex. Okay. I can buy a fourplex. Okay. 
I'm going to look at the market. I'm going to say, I want a fourplex that has, you know, a value add fourplex, right? So you've got to have like a clear buy box. Okay. When you're talking to brokers in order to do like, and you guys, it looks like you guys have a broker call. So it'd be great to like compare notes on this, but like, I've kind of, I, I think one of the things that I've done better than most is I really understand brokers. Well, I just understand people, but I understand broker. When I'm talking to a broker, I know how to get them super motivated, really excited, and like just on a mission to go find me whatever I'm looking for. But the reason I'm able to do that is because I give them a clear buy box, clear buy box. You have to know what you're looking for. If you don't know what you're looking for, then get on the phone with one of these guys and say, hey, help me create a buy box based on my market. You've got to know the, the number of units you're looking for, the size of the units, the location, the class. Do you want a C class? Do you want a value add? Do you want something passive? Do you want something stabilized? You've got to know all of these things. And the more data, the more data you give the broker, the better job they're going to be able to do at bringing you that deal. Like the more data points you can give them. And so in order to do that, you have to be very educated. And so you have to be able to give them, you have to give them the answers to the test. Here's everything I'm looking for. Go find it for me. But if you only give them three or four answers to the test, they're never going to be able to complete the answers themselves and bring you what you're looking for. And then they're going to get frustrated. And, you know, anyway, and then you've got to be able to tell them that you have the money. You've got to convince them you have the money. You've got to convince them you have the debt. You've got to convince them that you're ready to buy today if they bring you the deal. Like today, you know, like not like, hey, I'm going to think about it. It's like if I bring you what you're looking for, what you just told me your buy box is in the location you're looking for and blah, 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 the price point and everything. Are you going to make an offer today? Right. And this is where that that deep that knowledge and that experience of of being able to make decisions quickly came into came into play. But um, that's my that's my advice is really you've got to have those things in order. And there's five of them. Right. You've got to have those things in order and you've got to and then you've got to be able to tell a story. Right. I think having those things and just like programmatically like a computer telling them that's not going to get a broker excited. You've got to sell the broker like I am your buyer right now. Right. Brokerage is down 80%. People are struggling for this commission check. I'm your guy. I'm going to get you through this rough time. Go find me deals. I've got capital. I've got the debt. I've got the team. I'm ready to go. Right. And so anyone looking to do their first deal, that's my advice is like, you've got to have a clear buy box. You've got to know where the money's at, where the debt's at. You've got to, uh, you've got to convince a broker that you're ready to make a decision today and that you're looking in that market. If you tell a broker you're looking in five markets, he's not going to get that excited. If you're like, I love Denver. I love Denver. Here's the reasons why I love Denver. My family grew up there. I love this little, you know, I love that you can ski and golf in the same day. You've got to be able to sell them on their market. Like you've got to know the market almost better than them. And then they're like, oh my gosh, this person loves Denver. They know their buy box. They have the money. They've got the debt. They're ready to go. They're going to write an offer today. You will start to see deals in your inbox if you do that. Um, and you don't have to talk about it as fast as I do or as passionate, but I'm just saying that's the level of intensity and energy. I think that like the broker on the other end is like, geez, this person's the real deal. <laughs> so if you're looking to do your first deal, I think that's the key. I think that's, that's good. Key. That's one of the keys. I, I was going to say, Terrence, if you tell me what you're looking for right now, I may be just stirred up to go find you a property, bro. Right. If you keep talking about that. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying, Marcel? Let's yeah. go find our brother a deal right now. Right. Um, so, okay. I have another question too, Terrence, and, and feel free to throw this one in the trash, but, but you mentioned something where I think there may be some like Jedi stuff going on, man. Yeah. And, and if there is, please unpack it if you think it's worthy for us. Yeah. If not, just say, Trev, that's a dumb question. Let's let's keep it moving. But you mentioned utilizing business lines of credit in yeah. some way, shape, or form yeah. in your multifamily deals. 
Yeah. Is that like some Jedi stuff, man, that, that would be helpful to unpack a little bit? Or should we just move on to the next question, man? No, no, no. It's, I think that's a good thing. You know, I think part of unpacking this comes down to like just the growth curve of real estate. But I think, you know, this is the, this is the reason why I flipped that property. We were flipping properties instead of owning this. We didn't understand money. We didn't know how money worked, right? And so then the more deals we did and the bigger deals we did, I started to unlock like how banks look at things, how... <coughs> how like HELOCs work, how personal lines of credit work, you know, all these different things. So I think the number one thing uh, for everybody starting out, if you own a home, you should, and, and right now, like there's some crazy stat that like 80 or 90% of Americans net worth is tied up in their home, their home, right? That the home, what you owe, if you locked in an interest rate in the last 10 years, what you owe and what the home is worth, there's a Delta there and banks will give you a portion of that, mostly up to 90% of the value uh, on that home. And between what you owe, let's say you owe 300 and the house is worth five, right? They'll give you a line of credit for $100,000 to $150,000, depending on the bank and your credit and your net worth. And, and that is free money, in my opinion, if you know what to do with it, right? And so <laughs> the other thing to, to pair with that is understanding the tax code and the tax code favors homeowners. And the number one I think unlock for me was discovering that if you own a home, you can sell it and it's your primary. You can sell it every two years tax-free. You can't do anything in this country free of tax. If you make money on something, you're going to pay tax. The only thing you can do is sell your primary residence every two years tax-free. So I was able to use those two things to generate. Um, so like, for instance, I, my wife and I bought our first house in 2000 and uh, in 2016, we bought it for 350,000. We put a hundred thousand into it. We sold that house two years later for 725. Okay. So then that was, so we took that money, right. And did the same thing. And then we bought our next house for, let's say 500,000, put 150 into it, sold that house for 1.2. And we bought another house for 800,000, put 200 into it. And, and that house, you know, whatever I got, you know, that house we sold for two point something million dollars. So you can see this, you can see this leveling up of like, okay, once you understand it and then you can start to apply it and then you're starting to take all these wins tax-free and in the middle of it being tax-free, I could get a line of credit that I could just invest in myself, right? Or in these deals. So I just did that at scale. And then I think to add to that, let's say I had some friends that had a line of credit on their house or they were like, oh, I didn't know I could do that. And I'd be like, yeah, you can get a line of credit on your house for 4% and I'll pay you 10 if you lend me the money and I'll guarantee it. So then, you know, I, I could do that if I needed more money or I'd pay them 12% or I'd pay them whatever, right? When you start to understand real estate, paying someone 10 or 12% is nothing if you're going to create $2.2 million of tax-free money on a million two years later, right? And so that mm -hmm. was, I think at the bare minimum, those are some entry-level things that everyone on this, you know, in this community, in this chat can do and apply. Is wow, that helpful? Man. Yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> Value add dad in action right here, man. <laughs> exactly, man. And and, and, what, and Terrence, the important part on this is is I think to touch on here real brief is what was the impact this had on your family, your wife, your kids? What was the impact for them uh, amongst all of that? Well, we had our first baby in 2018. Uh, you know, so I, I think one of the cool things was like, you know, we were able to like move into like bigger homes, better homes, and better neighborhoods with better schools every time we sold a house, right? Because, you know, we we're buying it with money that was tax-free. 
So that was like, yeah, babe, let's go to this neighbor. Let's go, you know, so that was cool for her. <coughs> her and I are now on our, I think we're on our fifth house together. And we're going into like a neighborhood that you we would never have dreamed of, right? We've never dreamed of being in this neighborhood had it not been for this like understanding of the taxes, understanding of construction and real estate. So it's, I think in short, it's allowed us to live in better neighborhoods than really we could afford or that we would ever have been able to do otherwise and meet some great people. Our children meet some great people, being able to go to better schools, be in better school districts. You know, I think in short, like that has been just that alone, I think has really inspired and motivated and like aligned interest with my wife and, and, uh, you know, been a great thing for our children as well. I love that. Let's go, brother. The journey. Right? The journey. I love, I love that question, Marcel, so much, man. Really good. I, I want to fire one more away since we're on kind of like the personal personal yeah. line of things, Terrence. And I'm looking at the clock here. I'm like, man, this time is too fast. <laughs> There's like so many things that we haven't touched on yet. But um, with the Freedom Chasers community, there's a lot of us, we call it navigating life's challenges. We're navigating life's challenges. You know, there's a portion of us that are full-time real estate professionals. There's a large portion that is not. And, and you know, we have other stuff going on. We have maybe a W-2, a spouse, children, you have different community involvements. And so with you and the responsibility and the priority that you place with your family, in combination with executing in the real estate space at such a high level, then what's the what's the magic sauce there? Can you can you unpack that a little bit and maybe you know is, is it a structuring your day kind of thing or like what's what are you applying on on a day to day basis to execute at a high level both professionally and personally? Yeah, that's a loaded question. You know, I think that you know what's hard about the world we live in in social media is like everything looks like it's so whatever you know, and I think that's the the part that I kind of I think bothers me about you know, multifamily or raising capital or, you know, there's so much smoke and mirrors, so much fake, uh, fakeness, or just like not a lot of integrity or, you know, those things. So it's kind of hard for me because it's like, I don't have everything together. You know, I make so many mistakes, you know, so many mistakes, you know what I mean? But I think that's the, that's the best way I've, I've realized how I learn is through mistakes. So you've got to be willing to make small bets and make decisions and take, take chances and make mistakes. But, um, and I just think going back to the first thing is, is discipline. And I think I learned discipline by watching my dad. You know, my dad worked the same job for 42 years, same company, 42 years. He wasn't very, you know, he didn't have a higher education. Uh, you know, his last degree was from high school, uh, but incredibly hardworking, incredibly diligent. And then the same thing for my grandfather in Columbia. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, and my grandfather in Columbia uh, dropped out of high school and basically provided for, he had nine brothers and sisters provided for them when he was 12, he lost his dad. And so I had to start working and, you know, ended up building, you know, a small like portfolio of stuff, you know, that he owned in Colombia, which is obviously really difficult to do in a third world country. No, no debt, all cash. Um, so I think, you know, watching their, you know, their discipline, their hard work really motivated me. But I think discipline is the key in delayed gratification. Delayed gratification, I think, is the key to unlocking like real wealth creation because delayed gratification is really like, Instead of buying something today that I want, I'm going to forego that and invest it in the future of my family and in the freedom that I want in the future. So I think discipline and delayed gratification go hand in hand. And I would just say that's the punchline. Uh, and the more that you can apply that, I think the more freedom you'll experience and the more like of just uh, of growth 
and, and, the, and the more discipline and the more delayed gratification, I think your growth accelerates. So that's what I've done. You know, that's my story really from 2013 to 23 of how uh, someone can start with $150,000 in cash in their account, right? And build something like we built. And it's not really just like about me, right? It's just, that is, that is what can be applied. Now, I wish I would have started sooner. You know, I think I could have an extra zero uh, behind that had I started sooner, but that's just my journey. And, and I think there's people here that in 10 years could have an extra zero on top of that if they apply it maybe better than I did. But um, discipline and delayed gratification, that's been the byproduct for me uh, you know, of that scoreboard of like 150 to 300. That's, that is what that is a byproduct of, of discipline and delayed gratification. Marcel, you and I, we were talking about the other day, delayed gratification. Because I was <laughs> I was venting to Marcel Terrence. I was like, Marcel, man, there's these like fresh white kicks that I want, man, so bad. And it's just like, I have some I have some fresh white kicks, but it's time for an upgrade. It's just like, man, yeah. I want these so bad, man, but I can't pull the trigger right now. Yeah. Like delayed gratification, bro. Right. Delayed gratification. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, that is, that's, that's just the case, you know. it's It sounds simple, but it's not easy, right? It's also not something that that's easy to... To be disciplined about for many years right we're not talking about six months we're not talking about nine months a year or something we're talking about a long time right so uh, i mean it's it is not easy um in light of time terence we have about a couple minutes left here before we would love to open up for q a for for the community also to fire away their questions but fast forward we we, we really we kind of stopped talking at your your 135 unit deal right um, which really like lit everything up for you. You said over $2 million in refi tax-free. Let's fast forward to today. What, where are you today? You know, and uh, how was that journey um, on a high level? And what was the key takeaways from it? You know, today, you know, Verico, we have close to 60 employees, somewhere around 2000 doors. Uh, I think we have like four or 500 under contracts. So I don't know where we're at, but we're, we're somewhere around there. And, uh, you know, I'm in the, we're in the people business now, you know, it's changed from like, you know, me focused on doing deals and executing to like really trying to build a great culture where we can attract top talent, we can retain top talent, we can train and develop top talent, all on this mission of, you know, building cash flow, building wealth through multifamily, through investing in multifamily. <laughs> and so, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the company. I mean, I, I, we started at, in 2020, I did my first syndication and I started to raise outside capital in a traditional GPLP uh, format, excuse me. <laughs> and um, since, since 2020, I've probably done 10 syndications, I think. And then I've, I'm on my second fund. So I raised a fund in 2021, I raised like 29 million. And then <laughs> I'm on my second fund right now. And uh you know, that's, that's what I'm doing. You know, I'm trying to aggregate the right capital that believes in the strategy, believes in our team to go and, you know, buy uh, quality assets that we think are undervalued, that we think we can, you know, force appreciation and apply our platform to, you know, we built a vertically integrated platform because of, you know, my experience in construction and then property management, asset management, you guys were talking about accounting, you know, all these things, we've kind of put it under one umbrella uh, to provide one solution that we can kind of control the variables and we think deliver, you know, the best risk adjusted turn to our return to our partners. And so that's what, uh, that's what Verico is and does. Go for it, Trev. And you've entered into the, uh, the education space too, right, Terrence? 
Yeah, education. I, I love education. You know, I think that education is so it goes with freedom, you know, like uh, freedom and education, I think go hand in hand. And so, you know, I just I feel like with what I've experienced, what I've been through and what I've experienced to be true, you know, we started this, you know, kind of tribe or community uh, for people that I think want to accelerate that and grow, you know, their knowledge base and their ability to get deals and do deals and, and, uh, you know, solve problems. I just think so much of real estate in life is solving problems, right? And so how do you reverse engineer the right way to solve problems at scale to get to a desired destination? And, um, you know, so we do that and I, and I love it. You know, I, I, I super enjoy being able to help other people and, um, and help them on their journey to building wealth and being able to experience, you know, more freedom, uh, being able to experience maybe and cherish more memories with their family, their children, because that's what it's all about. I mean, the, the reason to take risk or to do business is to accomplish your goals. And if you're a family, if you're in a family, the goals should entail like being able to spend more time and more quality time and having deeper uh, and more memorable memories, you know, with the people you love. And that's what it's got to be about. If it's not about that, I don't really know. You know, I, I probably can't help you uh, or or motivate you. But um, so that's 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 what I you know enjoy doing, and I think that that's what I'm here for. What I'm here, you know, on this earth to do, right, is to uh, help other people experience those things and to do those things at a higher level. So uh, yeah, so that's what you know. So I started that with my team probably a year ago, something like that. Excellent, excellent, and just make everybody wear. And also, Terrence, you know, we're dropping all your links in the chat. And so cool. make sure y'all check out Terrence. All his content, his website, his program, everything, it should be all there. Caleb is dropping all that in one chat. So please, uh, please go check that out for our brother Terrence here. Marcel, back to you, man. Yeah. Uh, I mean, be before it goes back to me, Terrence, is there anything else that you want to share in addition to what we're putting in the chats here? Any message you want to deliver to the community? You know, what you're up, up to, you know, whether that's speaking events, education, you know, investment opportunities, whatever that may be. I mean, yeah. the stage is yours. Yeah, you know, I think that, you know, the big goal for me coming on is really just to connect with you guys and to help, you know, motivate and inspire and maybe like, help. hopefully someone has a, a light bulb moment, you know, that they've been experiencing things or struggling with something or they have a hurdle. And it's like, maybe they heard something that landed differently and it mode and it compels them to like get over that hurdle. You know, that's really it. I think that, um, you know, naturally we're doing deals, we're raising money. And, uh, you know, if someone on here has capital and they believe in multifamily and uh, <laughs> and they're accredited, you know, naturally we're, we're more than happy to talk to them. Uh, we're, we're relationships. We probably only deal with like 50 families. So it's a small knit group. You know, everyone that invests, I know personally, I've met and they've spent, you know, so I'm, I'm, we're really focused on relationships. Um, but yeah, I mean, we'd be more than, more than happy to build a relationship with anyone on here. If they have, uh, you know, liquidity that they want to invest in, in multifamily real estate and, and they are interested to learn more, you know, we're more than happy to, to do that. But I think, you know, for me, the big joy is just seeing other people be able to, you know, hear my experience, hear my journey, hear some of the struggles that I've had or the unlocks and then be able to apply that. To their journey. That's that's what's most important to me, and that's really what uh, excites me, and uh, and what I you know why I was excited to come on on this uh, in on this community. And we so appreciate you. I'm sure, I'm sure I, I can guarantee you, you activated a lot of people here, uh, including including ourselves. Yeah, I can speak for for Trevor and Victor. I'm sure. 
guys yeah. can we do that real quick you know how we roll let's throw some stuff in the chat that you appreciate let's show some love to terrence whether that's fires stars whatever that is let's throw something in the chats here you know that showcases thank you terrence on a sunday night you know when when usually you can spend time with your kids and family right also that we appreciate that you're here and also what i like to do you know how i roll I like to pull out my phone. So this is the time for you guys to pull out your cell phone. You got a couple of seconds here, me rambling, pull out that cell phone. Let's take a quick picture, guys. Take a quick picture of the screen here. What are you doing on a Sunday night? Because people need to know what you're up to, right? You want to showcase saying, hey, on a Sunday night, I'm educating myself about something I'm passionate about and there's more to come, right? So let's pull out the phone. Let's take a quick picture here. One, two, three, let's go. Let's smile. Yeah, let's go. Love it. And then what you can, what you're going to do is, or what I would encourage you to do is throw, go on on Instagram and you see that um, Caleb is also throwing Terrence's Instagram handle up there. Ta tag Terrence, tag Trevor, Victor, myself, on anybody else you can see in this, in this room here right now. Um, and let's share one another, right? Number one, let's show that love to Terrence so he can expand the reach also into your networks. And second of all, I'm sure he will share it as well. And guess what? You're going to be expanded to Terrence's network. Wow, the power of social media. Look at that. Amazing. Right. So let's share that, guys. And with that, I would say let's open it up. Trevor, do we want to open it up? Is there any, any questions, comments, whatever you guys want to share uh, here with Terrence? This is, this is the time now. We have about 10 minutes. Do we yep. have anybody that wants to come up here? We'll give it a couple seconds here. If not, then uh, we need to activate harder, Trevor, man. <laughs> I, should, I, I learned an interesting stat. Maybe we'll, uh, why people are thinking of their questions if they have any. Yeah. Here's an interesting stat that I've been chewing on. Okay, so <laughs> if you think about inflation, everyone's been talking about inflation, right? And I didn't really, I mean, you hear inflation, but you don't really, I didn't really understand it that well, like the effect of it. I understand generally the term and I know how to define it, but I didn't really, it didn't sink in and hit me. But this will, this I think will, will uh, light some people up. So if you have $100,000 in your account right now, in a checking account or any kind of money market, $100,000, okay. And let's say inflation is on average 4%. Sometimes it's less, sometimes it's more, but let's just take 4%. So 4% inflation compounded over 20 years, the $100,000 can buy you how much? What is it worth? What can it buy you in 20 years if inflation compounds at 4%? Does anyone want to take a guess? But let's, let's throw some guesses in the chat. Yeah. What are the guesses, guesses of what 100,000 can buy you? And, and you said 20 years at 4% inflation? Yes. All right. Let's see here. Take a guess right there. A used car. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> Twenty k, fifty k, a car, a used car. Yeah, it's yeah. I'll just give I'll just give everyone the answer. So, and this is AI is great for this because you can type this in and it'll show you the. But it's forty seven thousand dollars. Forty seven thousand dollars. Okay. $47,000. So that's wild to me, right? That's wild. And so, and, and you can take that out, right? So the thing about inflation, right, is the same thing with freedom, right? It's there's different levels. So we think that like in the United States, you know, we don't think of our money as like being worth less every year, 
but it really is. Yeah. And you don't really feel it because you're not, you're not extrapolating out 20 years. But this is the reason, and this is one of the fundamental reasons to invest in cash flowing assets, whether it be stocks that pay a dividend or hard assets that, 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 uh, that distribute cash flow is you've got to do something with your money, right? And this is why the wealthy, the wealthier the people you know, the more real estate they own is because that's their hedge, right? Why do, once, once someone has millions of dollars, why would they not just let it sit there? Right. You got to ask yourself, why do the wealthiest people, why are they active in taking bets and investing in things? Because they're trying to beat inflation. They understand generationally that if they just leave 10 or 100 million dollars in the bank, right, they are going to lose. That is going to lose. They're going to lose. And in 20 yep. years, their family is going to have less than half of that, you know, that they can, that, that it's, that can buy. The buying power is going to be less than half of that. And so that's a really powerful, I think, math and data point to have. Now, it shouldn't scare you. Right, that shouldn't scare you. That should motivate you to want to invest the money wisely, because money. And this is, you know, Grant Cardone takes it to the extreme. He's like, you should never have money in your checking account. I don't necessarily believe you have to go to that extreme, but it is a very compelling uh, data point to put in on your dashboard that should say, hey, every time I get a hundred grand, I should be looking for a safe place to invest it. That's going to beat whatever I think inflation is going to be. Maybe inflation won't be four percent. Maybe it's two or three, but you've got to understand with the amount of money that our government is printing, right? We just raised the debt ceiling again. And all that that means is that they're going to create more dollars. So all that that means is that over time, the every dollar you have is actually going to be able to buy you less, right? That's what that means. Mm -hmm. Layman's mm -hmm. terms. Every time they raise the debt ceiling, you should think all the money I have is going to be worth less now. To what degree? I don't know. No one really can tell you that. You have to use your best judgment. But that right there. Uh, should motivate every hardworking person that wants to be a good steward with their capital to say, I can't just leave this. And, and if a bank's going to pay you 3%, you better believe that inflation's over that. The bank's not going to lose money, right? They're going to take that money and go invest it. And they're going to pay you less than what they're making, right? And so you're really falling behind if you're just going to take the money market or the treasury. Like you're really falling behind, in my opinion, right? Because if, if that was the case, then you'd always be at par. Like they're not going to pay you par, right? I don't know if that makes yep. sense. Yep, but, um, it does. I think Very that's good. a really great data point. And I've just been going in this deep dive on that point of like, what does that actually mean? And how do you, how do you take that data and apply an investment thesis around that? And so hopefully that comes to life. You know, hopefully that uh, equation helps inflation come to life and actually, uh, you know, mean something to you. 100%. Solid, brother. Solid. Really I mean, good. I, I, I tell you, like the, the Grand Cardone uh, quote of no money in the checking, I, I'm at the point still, and I think Trevor and Victor are as well, will almost go by it because there is no put money somewhere else and still have money in the checking account, you know? Which is good. Bad. I always say I, want, I don't want to have either one holding on, on, the, on too much because it's going to go somewhere. You know, it's going to go somewhere and you, you rather want to have it in, in assets, right, than in something else. Um, and, and when we're <laughs> on your level, Terrence, you know, that's when, when, you know, now there's a little bit more variables, I would almost say, right, where we have to, okay, some, some liquidity here, but something tied up there, something goes here. We have also a little bit more um, going on for sure. But that, that's great insight. Everybody should know this. And this is also good content to talk about for with potential investors, family members, whatever that may be, right? People you care for on a financial level as well. 
Um, so thank you for sharing that. I would say, um, I'm actually surprised we don't have any hands up right now, but I saw if you raise your hand, if you, if you still have a question, we're happy to pull you up here. If that's, there you go. I knew it. Ify. Hey, can you hear me? Yes, ma'am. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Uh, thank you for sharing about your faith as well. It's not very um, common uh, to hear, or maybe I'm running in the wrong circles. But anyway, I wanted to ask, <laughs> I wanted to ask how you have been able to balance both um, faith, business, being a family person. Um, it's, it's certainly something that I've, I've struggled with more. And I don't know if this is because I'm in the building phase. Um, I found it less, I found I've had less available time to, you know, sit and have those meaningful conversations and Bible study with the kids, et cetera. So I'm just curious as to how you balance it all and make it look yes. easy while wearing a hoodie. Um. <laughs> <laughs> It's chilly in Denver tonight. It's chilly. Gloomy. It's probably 55 degrees out. So I got, I got the hoodie on. Um, yeah. And the kids gave me a little bit of a, uh, a sniffler last week, but, um, you know, balance, I don't know balance is such a tough thing. You know, everyone talks about balance. I don't know that there's a great answer, uh, for balance. That's gonna, you know, it's, there's no silver bullet. I think you got to do whatever works for you. You know, I have a really, really supportive understanding wife and I make it a priority, you know, uh, to spend every Monday morning with her. So we have like a date, you know, so start the week, the first three hours, nine to noon, I don't book any meetings. Everyone on my team knows I'm with my wife. We're walking, uh, we're talking, we're planning, we're budgeting right now. We're in the middle of a home renovation. And so we're talking about that and we're just trying to spend time together and connect. And um, I try and be home every night for bedtime, right? It's really important to me. I want to put the kids down. I want to be able to pray with them. I want to be able to spend time with them before bed. Uh, so I, I make time for that. And then, you know, my wife understands when I need to travel, but I just think, you know, you've got to, um, you know, you prioritize and make time for the things that you really care about. Right. And, uh, you know, I think my perspective with money, with real estate, with business is just that, you know, none of it's mine, right. That biblical perspective, like everything, none of it's mine. And so I just think, I, you know, why I take it very seriously that I'm a steward of other people's money. Right. And I'm held to the highest standard in terms of integrity and care for the money and, you know, how, you know, every investment and all those things. Um, and I take that very seriously and I'm very competitive with that. And I'm very intense. If you saw me in the office, like very intense, uh, very competitive, very passionate, hold myself to an extremely high standard. Uh, but at the same time, I understand that I can only do so much. I can't control interest rates. I can't control what banks are going to do. I can't control what our president's going to do. So there's certain things that are outside my control. And so I just leave the results. You know, I can't control results, right? I can control my effort. I can control my attitude every day. Like every day, I'm like, I control the effort, the discipline, uh, the attitude, but I can't control other things. And so I think just having that perspective uh, has helped me a lot. And then just making a priority of the most important things, which is my marriage and the time with my children. Thank you. There's no perfect answer though. Yeah. No, no, that was Absolutely. helpful. That, yeah. that was real. Yeah. That was a real answer. Oh, good. Yeah, great. Well, that's the truth. Yeah, that's that's how I look at it. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Now, now we got a couple more hands here, Terrence. Thank you, Ify, as, as always. Here, let's let's go to Fred real quick. Are you okay for a couple more minutes here? Yeah, yeah, we're good. Yeah, let's knock him out. Fred. Good hey, can you hear me? Yeah. Yes, sir. Hey, first of, yeah, first of all, hey, Terrence, thank you for your time. And uh, 
and obviously sharing your faith and stuff that's very important uh, so i appreciate all that and of course sunday night th thank you for that so uh you know hey I, I do have a question relative to what you're seeing in the market deal flow and values right i'm seeing a lot of deal flow yeah. the values tend to be when you do the underwriting you know 20 percent uh you know uh you know when the, when the numbers work 20 percent under what the asking is uh, i'm just curious what are you seeing and if you're seeing you know cap rates uh increasing you know value decreasing you know to the point where sellers are you know gonna you know face facts yeah such a great question it's a thread that's the billion dollar question right but um i can tell you what i'm seeing i can tell you what i'm seeing so in denver and des moines right I, we're we two markets two markets that we know really well uh intimately well uh, my brother lives in des moines he kind of oversees everything there but same strategy value add and what we see is a couple things from pure data we see that when a, a broker has a deal, it's overpriced, right? It's overpriced. And we see that there's a lot of price discovery. We also see that there's um, there's significantly fewer buyers in our markets. I would say if there were 10, uh, if there were 10 offers on a deal uh, a year ago, there's two today. It's down 80% from our numbers, 80%. So there's significantly fewer buyers in the market, right? There's significantly fewer banks lending right? Uh, in the value add space. So in the value add space, if you, if you think about value add, like most of the deals we buy are 30 or 40% under rented, right? Below the market rents. Okay. So in banks right now, so uh, in 2021, a bank would lend me 75% 75 uh, 75 of total cost. As long as in year two, I hit a 125 debt cover. Year two. Today, banks want a one-to-one -one debt cover going in. So if so think about that. So if the if the rents are 30 or 40% below market, you're going to get a 45 or 50% of purchase loan, which throws everything off, right? Because you're bringing more equity to now get about the same return and investors aren't comfortable with that. I'm not comfortable with that, right? I don't want to put twice as much money in to get the same return, right? That's ridiculous. So what we're doing is and and we've done a, and we've done a lot of deals. I mean, I think I've actually done our company, we've probably done some of the best pound for pound deals that I've ever done in my lifetime. So in only since 2013, right? You know, looking at multifamily. So in the last 10 years, in terms of price per foot, price per door, and and just an overall basis. Okay. And the reason for that is a lot of deals are blowing out. Banks are retrading and equity, it's harder to raise equity right? It's harder to raise equity because people are scared. There's uncertainty. And so that's why we raised a fund is so that we could have the cash and liquidity to take advantage of these deals when they come through. And so, you know, we're closing on a deal this week at uh, anyone that knows Denver at 110 a door. And there are three bedroom, two bath, two bedroom, one bath. So like standard, and it's like 130 something a foot. That's a 2013, 14 price in Denver. I had never bought really a deal, uh, like a real deal. 30, this is 36 units. They were buying for right at 110 a door. Um, so, and the reason is, is the seller's in distress, right? He had tried to go to market at 6 million. He had tried to go to market at 5 million and he was under contract several times. And this, this deal went to market last November, right? We're buying, we're closing on it in June. Uh, but, you know, he, he, he's into some distress. Uh, he's been through two property managers, completely mismanaged. And, uh, and so we're buying that on a stabilized, on a stabilized uh, pro forma, that's going to be a seven and a half cash on cash, seven and a half cash on cash. 
And so I just think you have to look at it from a cash on cash standpoint, like what on a stabilized risk adjusted level, am I willing to take this risk to get seven and a half percent, seven to eight percent cash on cash? Now, uh, underwriting the exit is tough, right? Because where do you think cap rates are going to be? Where do you think debt's going to be? You know, that's anybody's guess. We're trying to be extremely conservative, uh, you know, on the exit cap, right? Because no one knows. But I can tell you what we think cash on cash will be because you know what your debt is, right? And you know what the rents are going to be and you know expenses. So I can, I can get to where I think cash on cash is. And we're not really interested in doing a deal if you can't get 200 basis points above uh, the money market or, a, or to your treasury, right? If I can put money, if I can go put 100 grand and get 5% on my money, why would I go do a deal right now and make less than that? Right. So I think for us, the, 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 the barrier has to be, you've got to be able to clear seven cash on cash in Denver. And then in Des Moines, I think you've got to be eight and a half, nine stabilized. Right. So to go to a secondary market, I think you've got to look at three or 400 basis points above what you can get in the treasury to take that risk. And I think that's a starting point for us, but I, I do think that there's significantly less liquidity. There's less, less leverage. There's less buyers. And I think having money and being ready to pull the trigger is going to create some really attractive opportunities if you're disciplined and patient. And that's what Trevor meant earlier. There's so many more questions we would love to ask you, right? That, that yeah, would warrant a whole nother Zoom. <laughs> absolutely. Thank you, thank you, Terrence. Great question, Fred. Let's uh, let's do Mick and BB quick, and then we're gonna call it a night. How about that? Yeah, rapid fire, rapid fire, rapid fire. Let's go. What's up, Mac? Yes. Hey, Mac. Yep, we can hear you loud and clear. Oh, you just went muted. Trying to unmute you here again, Mac. You're muted. There, there we go. go. How about now? Good. Okay. No. So my question. No. Yeah, you're yes. good. You're good. You're good. <laughs> I'm good. Yeah, yeah, I'm good. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, my uh, thank you for your time. Uh, my question is regarding a partner. How was your experience with partners? And if you were to use or advise a checklist regarding partners in investing in real estate, anything you can suggest? That would. Be. Thank you so much. Yeah. Partnerships are tough. It's like marriage. It's tough. You got to work at it. <laughs> Uh, anyone that's been in a partnership knows it's hard. It's hard. Um, I think you got to be slow. You got to get to know somebody really well. You got to know. I think, you know, when things are going up and to the right, every partnership pretty much works, right? People are happy when you're making money. You really know what someone's like as a partner when things go bad and you lose money or things don't go according to plan. And you really get to see what someone's like, how they handle problems, how they handle stress, how they handle conflict. Um, and most people aren't who they say they are, unfortunately, right? Most people, and it takes time to get to know them. It takes time. Um, so I think partnerships are tough. <laughs> I don't, you know, in Verco right now, I don't have any partners like in the company. Now I have a bunch of capital partners and deals, right? Capital partners and deals. And, uh, you know, that's, and that's been good. That's worked out well for me. I mean, people, <laughs> I, I like working with people that have experience, that are savvy investors, that aren't going to call me every time the stock market drops, or every time they read a headline about Denver, Des Moines, right? I want to work with sophisticated, savvy, proven investors that are like, we know that things are going to get rocky, but we understand that if we're buying right and we believe in the Verco model of of uh, of value add, of in a, you know vertical integration and our our system for construction and for property management, and if they believe in that, then then things can come up and down, and there can be blips. 
but they understand over the long term we're going to perform and we're going to be able to um, you know create some pretty attractive risk adjusted returns. So that's the way I view partners right now. Is you know we just bring on capital partners. You know we don't we don't bring on real like uh, deal partners or like Verico partners, right? Just in in specific deals and people that have money. Uh, that's how we work with. That's how we view partners right now. Is that that I ask your answer your question? Thumbs up. Yes, Mac. Good. <laughs> Love it. Great question. All right, let's go. Last but not very much not least, BB. <laughs> Let me unmute you, BB. One second. You're muted. There you go. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Terence, for a wonderful presentation. I kind of was um, thrilled that you were combining spirituality and um, business. That is something I admire. So um, down to my question. Um, is this the right time to do a line of um, credit looking at the interest rate? Uh, because we are in the middle of one, we are taking line of credits for three of our multifamily properties because uh, we've been waiting for interest rates to go down, but they've not. So we are like, okay, since we can refi now, let's take um, equity line of credit from the property. Now, the thing is, it's going to increase our, our debt payment. Mm -hmm. So back to my question, is this the right time for us to do that and not be over leveraged? <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. That's a really great question. So I think that, you know, for me, I have, uh, I probably have four lines of credit and the total is like $6 million in lines of credit, 6 million, right? And I, and so you're talking to someone that I, I'm very comfortable with leverage. I'm very comfortable. It's like a drug though. Leverage is like a drug. So you have to know what to do with it and you have to know how much and when and all those things. And, and so I'm very comfortable with that because I'm going to, so I think to, to bring it down to just numbers, right? Let's say two years ago, I was getting lines of credit for 3%. It was like mm -hmm. LIBOR plus LIBOR plus and LIBOR is just like a, an exchange. Uh, it was like LIBOR plus 150. Okay. I was getting money at 3%, right? And then the deals that I was doing would produce, let's say 15 to 20% or cash on cash, let's say five, right? So two years ago when debt was three, I was getting five. So that's a yeah. good trade. So now my lines of credit are six, right? Seven LIBOR <laughs> plus 300 or sorry, you know, LIBOR is 300 or 400, right? So now it's, now my lines of credit are 6%. But what am I doing with that? What did I just say? I'm going to go find deals that are going to pay me seven to nine, right? Seven to 9% cash on cash. So yeah. as, as money gets more expensive, the deals, you should always be doing deals, right? If, if you look at the treasury, just look at the, um, everyone that's in real estate should get this ticker because this is what uh, you should gauge your deals off of. So there's one ticker, that's the 10-year treasury. You can see this, it's TNX. You can see that TNX right there. TNX. And it's okay. at uh, 3.745. Everyone see that TNX? I look at this every day, okay? Then there's another one that you could look at. That is VFX, and that's the five-year treasury right there. And the five-year treasury is at 3.9. Everyone see that? Mm -hmm. FVX, FVX. Okay, so, those, so you should always be thinking about that in terms of, if you take the five-year treasury, you should add, depending on your risk tolerance, and your level of experience between two and 300 basis points above that in cash flow stabilized, right? So if the five-year treasury um, 
BB, if the five-year treasury today is 3.9, so if you added 200 basis points to that, that would be 5.9, that'd be 6%. Yeah. Now, let's yeah. say you're a newer investor. Maybe you want to add and give yourself more safety. You'd say, I want 300 basis points above that. So let's say you'd want 7% cash on mm -hmm. cash. So if you're going to take money at six, you need to be able to get, get a return that's above that. Yes. And then okay. I think it's always good. It's always good. As long as you know what you're doing and you're always inflating that, right? So if you take debt at six, you've got to be doing seven to eight or 9% cash on cash. And then when you sell it, you should be like at a 15 to 18. So then you took money at six and then you, you invested it and net net made 15% on your money and, and current cash, you made seven or eight. That's a good trade, right? You should always be investing 200 basis points above where debt is. Yes, minimum. Thank you. Minimum. Yes, th now, like yeah. very sophisticated investors, they're trying to get 150 basis points above. So then based on your level of experience, you just yeah. take that out. So if you're just novice, you need to be 300 or 400 above that. And that just means margin of safety, mm -hmm. right? So the mm -hmm. people with a lot of experience, they're going to compress that because they need less less margin because they have more experience. I hope exactly. that makes sense. But yeah, it's always Thank a great time so to take. And if you have, if you have a, a steady hand and you have experience, it's always a great time to take leverage, but you have yeah. to treat it with a lot of care. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. This was a great question. Quick little mini mentorship here at the end. Yeah, sure was. <laughs> the, the professor here, Professor Doyle, economics class, man. Let's go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've had good teachers. You got to have good teachers. <laughs> That's yeah. right. Trevor, you want to, before, before, obviously, we, we're going to farewell here, Terrence, and then we're going to go into who's coming up next week. You don't want to miss that, guys. Another big baller, but Trevor, since you introduced Terrence, I'd love for you to do the farewell as well. But Terrence, thank you for myself as well. This was absolutely freaking fire. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, Terrence, man. We appreciate you so much. We knew it was going to be dynamite, brother. And um, it was just great spending a little over an hour and a half with you. And we appreciate you and, and your family letting you come on and spend some time with the Freedom Chasers, man. We'd love. I'm in Fort Collins, man. Uh, looking forward to our, our past crossing in person. Somewhere on the front range in the near future, that would be fantastic. And uh, man, this was this was amazing tonight. Absolutely stellar from the value add dad. So really appreciate you, bro. Yeah, thank you guys. Love what you guys are doing and uh, keep uh, keep fighting the good fight, man. It's amazing. That's 100%. right. That's right. We'll just keep following you, man. <laughs> following the path <laughs> that you're paving. All right, take All right. care. Appreciate we'll you, Terrence. Later. Thank you, Terrence. Later. All right, guys, I'm a, in, in light of time, I'm going to tell you, obviously, tomorrow is Broker Talks with Pete and Ed. So plug into that. But let me share my screen real quick. We have coming up next week, Dr. Aaron Hudson. We met Aaron at uh, Fund Launch Live uh, months ago now, I think, Trevor, right? And Aaron yep. is an absolute baller. I mean, she's, she's uh, built a fund uh, with Quattrum Capital, I think, right, Trevor? Quattrum Capital. Quattro, is, is, yep, Quattro Capital. Quattro Capital is her business. They closed 17 deals last year. 17 deals, big One deals. seven in a year. I mean, absolutely incredible. She has an amazing story because it also started with a lot of struggle. Actually, very interesting story. You don't want to miss that with yep. uh, lots, of, lots of downs, right? Big legal battle. Uh, I mean, it went to even like mental, mental uh, stress, big mental stress, I would say. And then she absolutely utilized that to freaking fire up next level. And we're also going to touch on funds, right? What, what are funds about? Uh, I mean, Terrence touched on it a little bit as well today. And, and she's all about funds and tells you how that can level up the business um, 
on the multifamily side. So we're super stoked to have her and uh, don't miss that one, please, in your very own interest. Am I missing anything, Trevor? That's it, brother. Looking forward to next week. Oh, man. I, I, I love Erin. She's, she's absolutely amazing. Um, yeah. Okay, with that, guys, thanks for joining tonight. We had an amazing Sunday. Uh, thanks for you guys to consistently show up. If it wasn't for you, we couldn't be doing this consistently bringing in big players here they're not come for us they come for you guys right so thank you guys for consistently showing up with that being said go freaking crush it level up and as you know we always leave with high energy